Welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again for this very special and bonus episode where I was a guest and I was the interviewed for a change on the That's What I Thought podcast hosted by an old friend from mine from college, Annette, and her husband, Micah. And not saying Annette is old uh, because our history goes back to Olivet, which was five years ago coming up, which is just insane. But together... Those two host a tremendous episode where they host casual conversations about life, love, relationships, how to communicate. It's all centered around Jesus, and it's amazing. They're quick-witted. They add a fantastic, fantastic opinions and thoughts on things that couples go through, and not just couples. Single people can gather wonderful insight and wisdom from that show as well, and again, all centered on Christ. They're witty, they're charming, and most importantly, they're vulnerable and they're honest with where they're at. So please go check them out. Uh, they're hosted at anchor.fm slash that's what I thought. And you can email them at that's what I thought podcast at gmail.com. So without further ado, I guess here is me talking and with and being given the wonderful privilege to share some stuff about church history and how the church can look back to its own history and how we interpret some of the problems and how we can go forward with some of the solutions. So thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoy. Okay, everybody. Hey, welcome back to That's What I Thought. Um, This is a podcast where usually Mike and I are talking about, you know, our life and relationships and love, but today Micah is sick. So unfortunately, you just have me, but um, I'm excited because I'm here with my friend Michael and Michael and I are friends from college and so fun. We connected through podcasting. Actually, he has a podcast called We Shall Not Sleep and it's so, so good. Highly recommend. You can find it wherever you get your podcast at and you can find him on Facebook and Instagram question mark. Uh, just Facebook. Just, just Facebook. Facebook. Just Facebook at We Shall Not Sleep podcast. But you can also send him an email at wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I actually have to go back and re-edit because I forget. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like after listening to it enough, I was like, I got it. I got it. I'll remember that. I'll try really hard. But it's so fun. I was because I was driving back and forth a lot to visit my grandma in Ohio. And I would just like binge your long form interviews on the way back and forth. And it was so nice. Oh, well, thank like, you. Like having a buddy in the car. Oh, well, I don't even go back and listen to him. So, I mean, to have somebody <laughs> else do it, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That is, that's my goal is to be able to give people the opportunity um, to have a law for interview. And then in between those to have something that's like, oh, I'm on my way to work and I have a free 10 minutes. Yeah, I love that. It's nice to have the little bite-sized ones because, yeah, my commute is a little bit shorter. And then, and then I'm sad when I have to pause in the middle of the interview. break it up it's nice though when i'm like doing chores around the house and then i'm like ah yes okay i have some extra time to listen but Mm -hmm. yeah so michael is a a good buddy from college and now he is pastoring officially full-time pastor in michigan right we're at michigan not in michigan yeah no it's it's in yeah (laughs) it is in michigan sorry it's just it's crazy to hear that um yes it's in a little town uh called north adams that if anyone knows their michigan geography that's a probably 
uh, as the crow flies about 60 miles south of Lansing, Michigan, which is the capital. It's, it's in a very, very small community. And it is, it reminds me of a lot of the Nazarene churches that I, I preached at when I was in college uh, now mm-hmm. at Olivet Nazarene University. I got to give a shout out to our alma mater. And alma mater. Yeah, it, they, oh, it's a, alma mater, <laughs> Olivet. Did you ever sing, did you see that song in our program at, uh, at graduation? I, I got the first words out of my mouth and I just pretended to sing and kind of hum, <laughs> hummed it the rest of the way. You don't want me singing. I was That's, like, is this something we were supposed to learn? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the unwritten rules of college. We feel obligated. We pay them a bunch of money and then in return, they still have us memorize stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, but this little church, I mean, it's 30 people and they're, it's, it's a blessing. It's a joy, completely shocking, but thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to, to come on. Uh, my goodness, what a, what a last year and so uh, that it has been, but I think through our connection through podcasts, it's given us an outlet to be able to share yeah. a lot of our thoughts and, and bring a lot of smile and joy to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's been really fun and connecting with different people and, yeah, one of the blessings of technology in a time where you're far apart. It's really cool. Um, but one of the things I love about Michael's podcast is just the lens of humility with which he approaches all his conversations and um, the knowledge he brings to it, too, because Michael was able to take a lot of the cool ministry classes that I ran out of time to take, which made me so sad. But <laughs> so one of my favorite things is that Michael knows so much about church history and it makes me really jealous. Um, so really this interview is because I have a lot of jealousy in my life that I need to confess and that I need Michael to teach me all of the things. <laughs> so, so I asked him if he would come on and share with us a little bit from his perspective, um, why church history matters in our daily walk as Christians and why it matters in our walk as Christians in 2021. So I asked him like, <laughs> if you could give me a snapshot of, you know, all of church history in a half an hour, <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got I to gotta make Dr. Frisius, who was my favorite prof at Olivet Proud. I actually had him, he was my second guest on my podcast. And even though there were some audio issues there, people were still able to, to glean from it the same questions that I had for him because he, he mm-hmm. is the professor of church history at Olivet, a subject that I was very, very much intrigued about in while I was there and took everything that I could that he taught. And yeah, you're connecting, connecting two things. Uh, what an amazing topic. And I'll try my best to be brief, which if anyone knows it, anything about me or just my family, the Crables, we're not brief <laughs> about anything, but I, I'll, I'll try my best in that. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, the one thing I think is very, very important today in our church culture, we are dealing with a, a philosophical dilemma, and that is in regards to epistemology. Epistemology is a discipline of philosophy that deals with knowledge. It's how how do you come to know something is, is the basic question. And in a saturated, information-overloaded age, we have all of the information that we could possibly want at our fingertips the problem is sifting through that information to finding out what's true and what isn't true. Now that's a whole other podcast topic of whether or not you care about what <laughs> is true. Do you care about reality? Do you, th- do you find the truth valuable? But when you are starting to question, not just, you know, having the midlife crisis 
or the existential crisis that every college student seems to go through with their major trying to figure <laughs> out life. Uh, you're you're getting this, every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're finding churches now starting to take their these questions that they have that the culture has asked, and they're now asking it about their own doctrine, about their own beliefs, saying, well, you know, the church has believed whatever, whatever that thing is for 2000 mm-hmm. years. Should we still believe that today? And there are many denominations dealing with a lot of different topics, asking themselves those questions. And that can be a lot, that can be very scary. Not that it's wrong, uh, but it can be very scary for very long held beliefs. And it yeah. comes back to epistemology. How do we know something to, uh, to be true? Well, I think as Christians, we can have a lot of head knowledge of Jesus, the Bible, God, Christianity, you name it. But where is our heart at? Is our heart uh, humble enough to either accept correction or be willing to admit that we're wrong or that we don't have the entire piece to the puzzle? So enter in church history, which can give us a lot of tools, a lot of examples that for us, when we think we're very special today, dealing with whatever uh, mm-hmm. cultural pressure, uh, the temptation and affluence you know, in our society of the the affluence in our churches, uh, with the amount of money and resources that we have, power, influence over things, political, non political, we have a place of authority in this culture, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And you just have to look back in a lot of the textbooks that um, that you can find out there. Uh, one of them is a history of Christianity by Justo Gonzalez. If anyone just wants to have a kind of elementary understanding of Christianity in a broad sense, I would recommend that book. But immediately after Jesus, you know, ascends into heaven, which we're going to be celebrating here on May 23rd, the uh, giving of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, we're, we're right in that church calendar. You have the apostles been given the Holy Spirit. Now it's going to be given to everyone else because the disciples already had the Holy Spirit while yeah. Jesus is with them. He gives it to them and then he ascends. And now the Holy Spirit's given for everybody. Well, what immediately begins to happen? There are factions formed and there are heresies that start popping up immediately after the disciples are all martyred about the end of the first century. They're all gone. And the church has to stand on its own two feet. And that starts, it starts with a temptation to not really believe Jesus and who he said he was. And that, that takes for the last next three and a half centuries because of the persecution from the Roman government, Christianity is still is, is seen as a threat because they are not worshiping and bowing down to Caesar. Their allegiance is to something higher. Well, was well, that interesting as a modern day parallel? Um, <laughs> Uh, for better or for worse. Well, you you uh, you get this gentleman who enters in uh, at the latter end of the third century, Diocletian, who was the worst emperor documented in Roman's history. He he is attributed with the longest, widest, and most gruesome torture of Christians in in recorded history. He kills mm-hmm. the most. He issues the the most violent decrees against Christians. And eventually, like any sort of play and drama, there's a big climax and people are betrayed. And then you have a gentleman arrive on the scene known as Constantine in the early fourth century. And he does a really big thing in 315. He legalizes Christianity. And yeah, for the people that do not need to worry anymore about, hey, you know, if you want to live, you need to give us the gospel of Luke that you have a copy of. You need to give us that. We're going to burn it. If you don't give it to it, we're going to burn you. And you had what we know as apostates, people who were like, oh, yeah, this is just the gospel of Luke, my uncle and my uncle's brother kept for 
for, for a couple of years. Oh, here, here you go. And we've lost <laughs> the copies of the Bible because the Bible wasn't formed yet uh, at this point in time. Well, now that Christianity has been legalized by Constantine, a lot of that stuff can come out of hiding. We can start to coalesce into one group and start to say, well, what is it that we believe now that we are free people? And what you get are the creeds and the councils that are formed in the fourth century to make a broad statement. And you have the official canonization of scripture in 367, where the New Testament is finally formed as we know it today. And creeds like the Nicene Creed or what we kind of know today as the Apostles' Creed, just what we had to learn at Olivet in our fundamentals of or Christian uh, ministry or, I guess, oh, uh, yeah. theology 101. <laughs> it's like, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I oh, believe, yeah. yeah. Well, it yeah. was like a gen ed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we get all that. We can trace all that back to the fourth century, which is really cool. And a lot of the parallels I always found from then is that you have you have influence and, and people being tempted away saying, see, you see Jesus, he was just a special guy. He wasn't, he wasn't God. Okay. He was just a really cool dude. And this is and, the 14th century. Yeah. This is the fourth century. This is, you know, 1600 years ago and change. Yep. Hmm, and it's like, familiar. yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you have, or I guess it's 1700 or well, yeah, it's between 16 and 1700 years ago. And you have people saying, no, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Jesus was who he said he was, just like we as Orthodox Christians believe today. But they had a lot of challenges. You had, you had heretics that were saying, no, Jesus wasn't God at all, just a special guy. Or no, Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't man because God would never come in human form because we're humans, we're bad. Well, the beautiful thing of what we believe about Jesus today as Orthodox Christians is that he was fully man and he was fully God. And celebrating his life, death, and resurrection at Easter, which we just got done doing, affirms those two things. So the church, once they are free people, they immediately had to deal with dissension in the ranks. Hmm. And knowing that a lot of these bishops, a lot of these church leaders also had a lot of influence. They had the ear of the politicians, ear of the most powerful people. You get this struggle of, we have to figure out who we are but we also have to figure out what we're going to be to the rest of this world. I'm like, isn't that interesting, especially in America with our freedoms that we have here and the affluence that we have here? What, what is fundamentally important for people to understand, at least in my mind, is that usually in history, in any, any pattern of history, every culture, when the church is given freedom, mm-hmm. it's usually either taken over and persecuted into oblivion, which we have, we've seen in many times throughout history, many cultures, or it becomes corrupted to a point where it is the dominating uh, conscious of the nation, a theocracy, where it wouldn't represent the, it's not really the church at that point, it's just used as a means to an end. Hence, if you mm-hmm. look at the Protestant Reformation, do we really believe the church was being the church when they were selling indulgences? Like, ah, you you want your mother, uh, Susie, to get out, get out of hell? Just, just give us a thousand dollars, and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure she gets out. That's not really the church. So, what's interesting about our culture, two hundred eighty plus years in in America, what we have here, what I find fascinating is that because of the church and the state being separate, we've been held in this tension. I'm not saying that we haven't crossed boundaries there and that. But what I find fascinating is that there hasn't been a theocracy here. There have been politicians who have co-opted the church vote by saying, hey, I'm a Christian. And that may or may not be true. 
and then you have people saying, I don't, I don't like the church and then them, you know, bringing on that base. So you have the church in a way being persecuted. I can say that lightly um, mm-hmm. in, in this nation by, you know, laws saying, Hey, you know, you can't have school prayer or you have people saying, no, the church should be able to decide these things. But we've been, we've existed in this tension and nowhere in history, at least to my knowledge, can you find where this amount of time has passed and one hasn't overtaken the other. And Mm -hmm. and that's where kind of like a lot of the parallels, I think we need to borrow from the fourth century saying, what do we, what can we learn from the past in order to understand our present? And does that make any sense? And that was a, was a lot there, but that's, that's, that's as like almost yeah. concise as I can be. <laughs> no, that was amazing. My, I was really trying not to interrupt because I wanted to get it all as a chunk so I could go back and reprocess everything you said. Oh, no, sir. Please interrupt me at any time. <laughs> no, but that was so great. I'm like, I feel like my mind is, my mind is bouncing a million different directions because there's just so much there. Um, first of all, <laughs> back up Constantine, Christianity is illegal because of the Roman empire. Yes. Uh, yeah. Up until 315, it just, it, they didn't, the, the Christians like from Jesus death till 315. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they never recognized. I mean, any, any sort of uh, follower of Jesus or any uh, born Jew, whether Pharisee or Sadducee, they're not recognizing Rome. They're not represent or they're not recognizing not just Rome, but the emperor or the Caesar as God as the Roman citizen would. They don't, they, they understand they've been given the decrees from Jesus, you know, render under Caesar, what is Caesar's. It's Mm kind of like, here is your thing that's due to you. Now leave us alone. And over the course of time, there are a lot of advisors. There's a lot of people that say, you know what, those Christians, they pose a threat because they don't respect you. Mm -hmm. Well, let's make an example of them. And that's what ends up happening is that Christians are then targeted because of their lack of devotion to the emperor or to the Roman throne. Okay. Yes. This is exactly what I'm looking for because I feel like my knowledge of church history stops when the Bible ends. And so like, I know like the Jews, you know, they kind of had this, like, you know, leave us alone. We'll do our thing. You do your thing kind of conversation. But then Rome kind of took on like a Babylon lifestyle and we're like, Hey, no, actually, Caesar is your God. And if you're not going to do that, like, like give us all your Bibles or we'll burn you at the stake. Is yes. that what? <laughs> okay. Yes. There, there is a, a fantastic book. It's called tried by fire. It's a story of Christianity's first thousand years. And uh, I'm blanking. It's by William Bennett. And that's actually a much easier read. If anyone ever wants to start out, it, it's, it is very, very simple. And he, he traces, okay, as soon as Jesus is gone, what are the challenges? What are the what are the martyrs like? Cause that's what's kind of where the, the phrase, you know, the, the foundation of the church was built uh, upon by the blood of the martyrs mm-hmm. and that you have your first martyrs thereafter um, besides you know, Stephen, which is documented in scripture, but there are many more that didn't have uh, the direct contact with any of the apostles. You have people in the second and third century who are tasked with keeping and preserving these ancient documents because, you know, you don't have a printer, you don't have email, you have to painstakingly verse, you have to know how to write, which that's difficult. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand a different language. So that's difficult. <laughs> um, and now you have to copy it down and you have to make sure it's right. And then you have the task of preserving that copy and making sure it's not torn. It's not exposed to the elements. 
Um, mm -hmm. And most importantly, when a Roman soldier comes knocking on your door saying, hey, you and your wife or kids are going to die unless you bring you hand over this copy. We think we like to make ourselves the hero and say, yeah, I I'd die for Jesus until we get that knock on the door. And usually it wasn't a knock on the door. It was a raid. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that. I mean, those are the people that came before us that sacrificed so much to get the Bible that we have on our phones today. <laughs> yeah, in almost every language, which is amazing. Yep. Um, okay, so persecuted. We're trying to keep everything collected for the Bible. Um, you said that when Constantine came, then he legalized Christianity, which I knew. Hey, <laughs> but um, okay, so when a theocracy, which would you say that Constantinople, Constantinople, Constantine, <laughs> that's a city. Constantine was building a theocracy then because he made it the foundational religion. Cause it was like, Hey, everybody's a Christian. Like you're going to be a Christian. Yes. That, that, that's, that's actually a really good memory. I didn't even mention that. Yes. He, he made it the state religion and there are, there is so much commentary on why there's a lot of beliefs that he saw the a sign of God. And when he overthrew the previous you know, emperor. He, he infamously had the symbol of Christianity and all of his shields, and he believed that God was with him. And what you see is a person who could absolutely genuinely have been a Christian, but towards the end of his life, he was just willing to go with whoever would say that he would have peace. You know, it's like, well, I've had a lot of blood on my hands. I want to make sure I get to heaven. What do I have to do and who do I have to listen to to get to heaven? So he, he was kind of a desperate guy, but yes, I mean, he, he legalized Christianity and then Christianity was recognized as, as, as the state religion. And you really don't have a whole lot of a choice, but it does not mean that those people were Christian. I have no doubt about the, obviously the bishops and just the regular lady, but when you have this marriage of, uh, again, the, the heights of power that Constantine wielded, and also saying, hey, there's upcoming very, uh, very religious people full of a lot of zeal. Like, this is good. Like, it, it's good for my PR, my publicity. Good for my PR, yeah. 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 And, and it's like my, my, poll, my polls go up when the Christians light me. So I might as well, you know, get their support. Interesting. That sounds familiar. Huh? Yeah. Um, so then you mentioned that when a the theocracy comes into being, it goes one of two directions. Either it gets snuffed out by persecution is that what you're saying yeah like usually when, when the church is kind of just existing in any society um usually and of god willing that it's actually doing its job it's going to be persecuted i mean our, our bibles tell us that for anyone who wants to live a godly lifestyle in christ jesus will be persecuted right. it's just a fact and when the church is being persecuted it is it's the baptism by fire you're finding people who are truly committed to the faith mm -hmm. and if you are doing what's right history shows that it's usually the holiness people the, the most holy people are the ones that are being killed for their faith they're the ones that are remaining true they're not bending uh with uh, bending under the pressure you know or just flowing with the tide mm -hmm. or in the opposite which is interesting a little more commentary for today <laughs> with a theocracy the height of a power that christianity could could gain throughout the ages it doesn't really look like Christianity. So it's no longer the church. So you usually it's pulled in one of these two directions. Are we tempted to basically lay down our values and lay them aside in order to uh, gain power? 
or are we willing to hold true to our values? Meanwhile, the authorities, the state are going to make us pay for it. And, and those are the, the constant questions Christianity is just going back and forth with. And unlike today, we see that, but usually one of those two things has happened by now. For yeah. us, our society has gone back and forth. Godly, not godly. Atheist, not atheist. We, we're, we are waffling back and forth <laughs> and all the time, but yet Christianity is still here. We, we have, we have laws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, yeah, it's funny. It's (laughs) life. Can't make up our minds. (laughs) No. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's where, because of the laws of our nation, unlike other countries in in the past, we, we have those laws protecting against that type of persecution, like physical persecution. Like you can't go to church or we are going to drag you out in the streets and kill you. Like that's, we don't experience that here. I'm very Mm -hmm. grateful for that, but it's also, it's kind of an anomaly. You don't really find right. this in history or around the world today. Yeah. Which no. I think is so interesting. This conversation kind of comes out of my ponderings from, I guess it would be 2020. My word for the year, which like usually I'll like pray about and then like choose a word for the year to kind of like focus on uh, was perspective, which was ironic because then we had a pandemic, which I think imposed a lot of perspective. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you were a prophet right there, Miss Annette. I will tell you. That. Well, <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I am like, oh, being a prophet would be horrible because just awful things happen to them all the time. But I totally yeah. believe that, you know, we're in a societal age that needs prophets in the sense of like the people of God who like call out the sin in the people of God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, which brings me back to that idea of this theocracy breakdown. Cause I feel like I see a little bit of both happening in our culture, like just depending where you are. Like, I think in a lot of areas that are very like Bible belty mm-hmm. <laughs> for like, whether that's changing or not, but I think, especially with the pandemic happening, and people having church at home, it kind of pushed people into directions of saying like, you know, what? actually, yeah, I was just going to church because I wanted to and it was convenient. And so like being connected doesn't really matter that much to me. And then you have other people who are like, actually, wow, like I'm realizing I need to dig in deeper and I need to see more of God. And so I think just what I anticipate from what I'm seeing is that we're going to see a little bit more of like the road is narrow and very few mm. walk in it, um, which reminds me of that persecution narrative. And like you said, we don't really experience that, like even our brothers and sisters around the world today. But I think I think the Holy Spirit is doing a work of calling us to repentance and calling us to mm-hmm. be actionable in our faith and stop because we had this big moment of like the consumeristic church and you know you get things the way you like it which is another reason that this conversation is important to me because I think when you're just getting things fed to you the way you like them and you have no sight of history or why it matters you can just be consumed in like oh I go to church because I like it it feels good and people take care of me (laughs) as opposed to like hey like when this gets hard and it will get hard, are you, are you here because 
you're going to follow Jesus, even if there's no Jesus to follow. I love that C.S. Lewis quote when he talks about Aslan and he's like, I'm going to follow Aslan, even if there's no Aslan. Yeah. Um, are you going to follow him? No turning back. Or like, is this just because you're comfortable? And I think, I think there's a lot of people in America who will really wrestle with that. Not because like their churches are bad or anything, but because we haven't been putting in the action steps outside of church to have those reps that are making our faith muscles stronger to be able to be like, Hey, you know, things are harder now. And I'm confused. Like why my quote unquote Christian nation, like they're not supporting my beliefs and like these things aren't working out the way I want them to. Um, And also having the perspective of this is a whole conversation we can dive into. I recently realized that there is a conversation of you said the Orthodox church or the Orthodox Christian. Is that right? Yes. And then, um, I keep hearing, you know, the progressive church, which I think maybe was the emergent church before, but that's, that's true. Um, traditional, I've heard traditional slash Orthodox Christian and then the progressive, um, I don't emergent movement. So like, it's interesting to me that even in our Christ following center, there's like this faction, like, (laughs) it's kind of like, Oh, I didn't know that you could be like a different kind of Christian. That wasn't a, I guess, quote unquote, traditional Christian. (laughs) Like you just get to choose the parts that you want to follow. And I think that's kind of like the separating of sheep and goats kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I just threw a bunch of jargon out there. I'm verbally processing, but when you see that, which like, I think by your affirmation, you probably are seeing that a little bit too in your relationships and just what you're hearing as being a pastor in the church. And you think of, you know, you have this knowledge of church history. Where are those parallels that you're seeing? Like, Hey, if you knew this about what happened in the past, (laughs) you would be able to see where this is going. That, uh, yeah, that is a fantastic question. Uh, I appreciate it because it's, it's one that's not asked too much. Uh, even just knowing that there's something in the past to look back to mm. uh, it is very important. W- what, you, what we are fundamentally seeing, and I'm not going to make any political commentary here. I'm not, that's not my purpose here. When what we're dealing with right now and is this separation of the sheep from the goats, wheat from the chaff, however you want to use it, it's exposing motive for people yeah. uh, and why you go to church. What is the purpose of the church and why do we attend church? And in a pandemic uh, with whatever the, the widespread opinions on that topic, you have a lot of worldly things dictating to the church how we should react, how we should feel, what we should do. And that is not necessarily a bad thing by any means. It's that, again, what is the church? What, where is our allegiance? And that's part of, of this exact parallel between the past and now. Mm-hmm. What is the function of the church. And if we truly understand Matthew 28, the great commission that we are to go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. The question is, is there something that is worthwhile that could prevent us from doing it where we would say, Oh, okay, I'll, I'll stop for now. And, and that that's a hard question for, for maybe for some to answer. And I will at least say this, that for a lot of people, the, the whole thing of, well, 
we have X amount of people attending on Sundays. We've we're open, but we social distance. We have lasks and we have uh, on a live stream. There's been some conversations, some of the circles I, I, I roll with that. What is the virtue of even having in-person church? If we can actually have virtual uh, meetings, like why do we mm-hmm. even need to go back? Yeah. And that, that's my question. If you guys, if, if people, I, I just wish people kind of would take their own arguments to like the logical conclusion, but it's like, well, maybe, maybe we don't need to go that far. It's like, well, why not? <laughs> or uh, why, why, why are you saying there is something important and valuable about meeting in person, which I believe there is. But I think what's, in, what's important here about the, the motive is that the government did not shut any churches down. The churches shut the churches down. Uh, regardless of where you want to yeah. land on that, the churches decided. Now, I am not saying that was a bad nor a good decision. I'm not here to make that commentary. I let somebody who is less naive than me make that commentary. <laughs> uh, but we did not experience, I would say, a persecution. A lot of people want to make themselves like, oh, look, look how bad in America is. We, we're told that we can't gather. Well, you can. <laughs> you're, 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 you're the ones that are, that are deciding to do it for better, for worse. Yeah. So again, where's our allegiance? And in the third and fourth century, and then for the next few centuries combined, that question is, is the fundamental question that's been asked uh, for their church fathers, the people, the men and women who kept the, the gospel alive when it was very, very bleak. Yeah. And then when the church ascended to the height of, I, God is with me, the bishops are with me, I am the emperor, I'm ordained by God, and you're going to do whatever I say, and we are going to kill, we're going to steal, we're going to sh- destroy, and it, it doesn't look like the church. And yeah. where, where are we investing our time? Earthly kingdom stuff or world or, or, um, or heavenly kingdom stuff? Worldly versus heavenly. And that is the battle at the moment. And for any sort of detractors from the faith, it's a pretty easy litmus test. Jesus is the one who had said, which is kind of a hard teaching, Annette, you're either with me or against me. Yeah. Those are the words of Jesus. It's a pretty easy litmus test. And for those who claim to be Orthodox Christians, but don't believe uh, that Jesus should have died or that his death was in vain, or for those that believe that God sending his son was a form of child abuse, you're you're making it very easy to tell whether or not you're a Christian or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What did you say? We have a struggle in our culture of epistemology. Yeah. Yeah. Pist- at the very beginning epistemology. How do we know something? How, how do, do we, we know come, something? How do we, how can we arrive at knowledge? Definitely. And I think I see that. Well, in non-Christian culture, all of the time, everywhere, but, and then also in this progressive church movement, I see that, but I think it's, it's interesting because to me, my struggles, I guess, stem, especially fueled by the pandemic of like ecclesiology, like what's happening with our church in the study of the church. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And I think that those conversations fuel each other. Like, I think there's a lot of people who have epistemology issues because they started in ecclesiological ecclesiological issues like 
my church, I don't understand why my church does this or um, why we gather in this way. And I, I don't know, (laughs) but even when I, even when I think of those three categories, like those who aren't following Christ is a huge number. And then you have this progressive faction and then you have this narrow orthodox fashion. And so, oh, sorry, that's not surprising to me. Um, I think one of the things that I've been pushing back with, with the pandemic conversation in light of church history is like, I don't understand why we're surprised. Like, why are we surprised that, you know, people would sin or do horrible things or walk away from God? And why are we surprised that bad things would happen to us? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like God is, you know, scripture is very clear that if you follow Christ, you're going to suffer. If you, um, that much of the world is not following him. So yeah, I wrestle with that. And I wrestle with, I guess I worry that as followers of Christ, because we've lost perspective, it's Satan's scheme to keep us from doing the good work, which like you said, like Matthew 28, great commission, like making disciples of all nations. And so I have this inner wrestling that I guess I want church history to give light to me on (laughs) of like, what should we do? (laughs) You know, like, what do we do with this? You, you actually bring up a fantastic point and and something I will add to absolutely there inside the church uh, an ecclesi- ecclesiology that that's the thing that that, that is missing in a, in a way because you're right it does inform the epistemological side and people are surprised by sin that's something that I, i've actually said a couple times in 2020 is that i'm just really tired that people are surprised by sin but then it made it made sense we don't talk about sin very often mm. yeah. people do not want to go to church to be told that they are uh that their hearts are evil that their heart is full of evil it's wicked and mm-hmm. that there's not one righteous not no one and that you know free, and the church isn't ready to talk about it because we're still in, dealing with the trauma from the fire and brimstone preachers we're like we can't bounce <laughs> yeah it, it's it's the one without the other that we can be sinful mm-hmm. but there's a whole other message beyond that I, I just got done preaching on the fact that you know you have peter the life of peter he he testifies uh to jesus he's introduced to him and then he recognizes authority when he's given a lot of fish. He walks with him. He's, he's given Who the authority. <laughs> yeah, he's given the authority to drive out demons, heal the sick, and also raise people from the dead, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. And then at the end, he says, "Surely not, Lord. I'm, I'm not going to betray you," which is hubris. Of course, we know he's telling mm-hmm. God that no, that's not going to happen. And then he does. <laughs> and then he's then he's ashamed. And then he doesn't recognize Jesus. He goes back to the same part of the Sea of Galilee, still not catching any fish. And I think maybe Jesus doesn't get enough credit for his sense of humor. So <laughs> Jesus, who doesn't owe, he doesn't owe Peter or the disciples anything. They actually betrayed him. They scattered and were ashamed of him. And they had three days to stew, reflecting probably on their entire life. And the previous years with Jesus saying, Hey, I guess this guy really wasn't who he said he was. Hmm. Now they're back to their day job. You know, you can just imagine just chilling. It's <laughs> like, all right, well, I guess I just got to go back to my day job. Then they're out there in the same position, not catching any fish. And Jesus says, you know, friends, have you not any fish? I mean, come on. Like, that's hilarious. Like I, <laughs> and, and Peter finally recognizes him, jumps out of the water and 
he meets like Jesus goes and meets the disciples, the people that betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. That is what was missing in the fire and brimstone. Not, I mean, revelation's clear. Jesus is clear on what's going to happen for those who don't follow him. Mm-hmm. But like, but here's what's going to happen for the people who do. And we don't, and he makes a way Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays his life down for the flock and he goes and he seeks out those who are lost. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful in that. And when that's the, I think that's the lost story of Christianity is that yes, we're, we're depraved people and in need, in need of a savior, but here's what's on the other side of that. And it's, it's the most beautiful thing you can possibly imagine. And when you're not educating people about mm-hmm. what sin is, because it's uncomfortable, we don't talk about issues of homosexuality or abortion, transgenderism. We don't talk about alcohol, whether, wait, can, are you those type of Christians that drink alcohol or not? Uh, we, don't, <laughs> we still don't like to talk about pornography because that's an ugly word. And for me, at least my understanding in that as a naive 27 year old, God's, God's will is hard. Yeah, it's it can be sometimes elusive because God doesn't fit, you know, our little box mm-hmm. we make out for him. But I find sometimes it's very easy to ask this question and maybe answer is what does Satan want? Oh, my gosh, you've said this before on your podcast, and yeah. I thought it was so brilliant. Tell the people. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I, I it's hard finding out God's will. That's a lifetime achievement award for some people. Right. And, and, but at the same time, I think for us in this church today, it, it's brilliant. Think like an enemy, think, play devil's advocate. Literally, what does <laughs> Satan want? He wants us fighting over worldly things. He doesn't want us to be united. He wants okay. denominationalism to still have its day. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wanting to ask like, well, what's Satan's will in this pandemic era? What, what does he want us to forget our history? Absolutely. Does he want us to be it basically separated by a worldly thing. Absolutely. And my question is like, okay, church, how much longer are we willing to tolerate mm-hmm. being led by the culture? That's my question. Yeah. Which totally is exactly what we do. Yeah, definitely. It just, okay. Okay. Well, culture, whatever you want, where you've been to. And it's almost as if because to make up from the sins of our past, you know, sin, we're the, it's the, the church of shame where it mm. produced a lot of shame for a lot, especially women, especially women, which just terrible, terrible too. Um, you know, it like how church treated women would be no different than how like a, a secularized state would treat women who, oh, you can't be educated. You can't do this. You can't do this. Here's your role. Fulfill that role. Just literally yeah. sit down, shut up, make babies. That is your role in life. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> um, well, for me and my understanding that, if I was Satan, I'd want to attack that, but then I want to have that shame turn around and to say, you know what, you, you suffered or you, you caused so much suffering for me. And now it's our turn to get back at you. And you mm-hmm. have this influx of, of teaching that's being thrown back at the church saying, you know what? I, me, my movement, we are a product of all of your mistakes. And you have the church essentially saying, you're right. And then you have two different responses as you say, you know what, you're right, but the fundamentals of Christianity are still true. Or two, you have saying, well, maybe we can, maybe we were wrong this entire time. And essentially you have the church bending the knee to culture saying, please don't hurt me. Interesting. And when you see that, I think 
clearly, it, I think it's very, very clear. You are looking at the any heresy that's ever existed in the church. And the the one benefit these these churches had at, at the early onset of uh, Christianity in the fourth century, and that you had uh, a gentleman named Arius who believed that their the substance of, of Jesus in as fully God and fully man just wasn't true. And the churches all came together because they just been persecuted. They're like, all right, guys, we need, where are our friends at? They all came together at one council. That's a good word right there. Yeah. yeah friends. <laughs> Everybody coming together to talk yeah. about an issue. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's all of the, the bishops in the area. They come together, they have a council and they officially condemn Arianism, which is, that was the, the teaching as heresy. So it's accepted by everyone that this teaching on Jesus was wrong. And so the church reaffirms and hence you get the Nicene creed from the council of Nicaea. It's a, if you go and look up that creed, there's a lot of language on Jesus and who he was. It's, it's almost redundant how much language there is, it's, but it's because they're issuing a rebuttal to somebody who claimed Jesus just wasn't who he said he was. Well, the beauty in that, and that is that they were together, but can you, does any denomination do anything with another denomination for the most part today? No, that's why we left. Your carpet's green and I hate it. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, we can't do anything separately. Yeah. And that's how Satan would want it. He has this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a prideful person. Confession. What I want to say is that I think that we're all prideful in that conversation. And we all need to practice confession. And that's one of my biggest struggles with church leadership, I guess, having been in ministry for a handful of years is like, man, like, when do you practice confession? Like, when are you saying like, hey, I'm a sinner? And, and honestly, sometimes it's, it's really hard. And I get that because it feels like you're not allowed to be human as pastor. And I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir pastor here. He gets oh, it. No, but like, you know, if this is a great example that I hear on this podcast, I love all the time. Like if I am applying to ministry and I say, you know, like I struggle with pornography mm-hmm. yeah. and in a lot of ministries, you're automatically disqualified. Like you're, you're not able to do ministry because you confess that you're struggling with this sin. <laughs> like what? That's so messed up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't, it, it gives a pressure. Like you can't be human. Mm-hmm. And the, it, that's the thing is that confessing sins to one another, which is a biblical command. Yes. Um, and, Confess your sins to each other and you'll be purified of all unrighteousness. Right. Yes. Which and, is what we need. <laughs> yeah. And, but why, why aren't we doing that? And I guess if we don't know what sin is, if people don't know what sin is and, it, and the thing is that this is not, this is not the general ladies issue. This is the shepherds of Israel, so to speak, going to Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, the shepherds of Israel that, that God through his prophet says, I'm going to hold them accountable. I, the you shepherds of Israel who have misled my flock, have fed Oof. off of my flock and have led them astray. I am going to judge you. Like there is, it is such heavy language. You but said it's that's a, Jeremiah? Yes. I need to reread that. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe... <laughs> I believe that I'll, I'll verify it here in a second, um, but it's, they talk about something, you know, as a minister, like you don't want to hear that. What type of burden do you want? Um, do you want to say, yeah, by the way, you better make sure that you hold my flock accountable because um, you're going to actually be 
you're going to be held accountable for your actions. And I think the blood of those people are going to be on your hands. And yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34. They're very much parallel passages on the pastors, essentially, that are leading their flocks straight. And it's specifically those who are feeding off them. You know, whether that be through, um, like, I'm just there for the salary or I'm there to, you know, maybe I'm a narcissist and I just like having power over people and getting my own way. I mean, you name it. Interesting. Um, but I, if more pastors had that understanding and then really, really the, the big one, which we, I, I have never been a part of a church or seen this. I've only heard it anecdotally. And that from first mm-hmm. Timothy chapter five, this is at verse 20. This is the NIV. It says, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. Oh, snap. Yeah. No, I forgot that was in there. That's yeah. That's yeah. For real. So <laughs> pastor Michael, he's dealing with um, an adultery problem. So pastor Michael, he hit on my wife the other day and you know, Pastor Michael, we believe, you know, he's been called here. Um, he is a sinner just like anyone. And the one thing that, uh, you know, he uh, is going to do is he's going to come up here. He's going to confess his sin. Now we're going to rebuke him in front of everybody. Do you think if we did more of that for leadership, board members, uh, elders, you name it, that that might serve as a little bit of deterrence? I mean, just a little bit. Yeah. And a huge lesson in how do I rebuke my brother and my elder and then also love them, you know, like, cause it feels like you can't have both at the same time. Right. Like, like we're rebuking them and telling them, you know, that sin's not good for you. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> and, but also, yeah. And then I just like see him on the street and I'm like, Hey, what's up? You know, like, I don't yeah. know if we would be able to navigate that because it's so abnormal to us because and I think that's maybe a trend of evangelicalism and like the mega church because can you imagine like at a mega church bringing out your elder and being like <laughs> here we go yeah and, but what stops us there again what what's the purpose it's it, it, again it, educating people on sin um, and then also forgiveness the emphasis on forgiveness what does it look like to forgive one another and be redeemed by the blood of Christ I mean Peter Swore to the people, I didn't know Jesus. I mean, what other what other greater sin do you want? I mean, what about Judas? I mean, somebody like that. And yet Jesus says, you know, if you don't forgive one another, I'm not going to forgive you. That's um, I, it's it's like, oh, okay. So this this whole forgiveness thing is very important, and we stand condemned already if we're not forgiving our brothers and sisters. And that's hard. It doesn't mean things go back to normal. I'm not saying it's like, oh, I guess we'll just forget about it. And uh, our relationship just, you know, doesn't change. Like, no, there are still worldly consequences. But if we're not teaching people how to be redeemed, the only time we see this is maybe in a movie or a good comeback story for an athlete or a movie star that did something wrong 10 years ago. And now they got their big break, their shot at redemption. People love that. So it speaks to some sort of this inner, inner, um, as the inner character where all of us kind of yeah, are longing right. for it, we would say, well, I, I really wish I could be redeemed mm-hmm. uh, too. And it's like, well, if the church isn't modeling it, where, where's the rest of the world going to get that from? Yeah. And I, I think too, hearing that if we don't have the confession and forgiving of sins and that whole reconciliation process, why we can't complain that we never see any lives transformed we never you know like that's the mission of all of our churches like we want to see we want to see lives transformed we want to see new things but like we're never going to talk about our sin no no No. (laughs) that's over here it's it's to kind of come as you are stay as you are mentality and 
Mm -hmm. uh, one of my elders from my previous church, she, she has one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Uh, it, it's just, it's of her own mind. Her name's Patty. She said that sometimes the church just loves people straight to hell. That's, that's very true. Yeah, and it's just okay. Come on, all right, all right. Thank you, Aunt Margaret. Okay, okay. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Uh, and it's <laughs> but what have you done? What have you done with these people? I think that's the question for leadership. And again, I don't blame the people. How would the people know this? Right. They're, they're going out, and you know, Holy Spirit's working through them, which obviously, which is great. That you know, the Word of God is not you know contingent upon us. You know, uh, we we believe that about our our Creator. It just doesn't help when you have shepherds of the flock who do not have the flock's interest at heart and aren't educating their people. Uh, there was there was a survey that my former church did back in 2017, and then we had 1,400 congregants, and we had like a 20-some percent response rate, which was really good. And the question was, you know, do you believe the Bible should have daily authority in your life? Yes or no? And 51% people said no. And that was on the national average. National average, we were actually below. So national average of people who are church goers, you know, people, so not just people that go to church, uh, not just people who are there in that certain day to experience the survey, but mm -hmm. people who take time out of their day to fill out the survey usually are not lukewarm people or new Christians. They're people who are committed. So over 50% of those people four years ago were saying, yeah, I don't think the Bible has daily authority in my life. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that doesn't ask whether or not they think it should, they're just admitting that, well, either yeah, I don't follow it daily or no, I don't believe it should have that type of authority. That's staggering. No. Because we know that's not the true number. If it's you have really hard committed people answering honestly, <laughs> what is it for the you got the cream it, of the crop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's that's a failure to educate people. And that's the thing that the early church did is it educated its people. It church. Yes, it was something that happened, but because of the communities in which they were in, it's, it was something that was lived out every day of the week. And it's something I'm trying to teach my congregation, Annette, is that it's great that we do this for an hour and 15 minutes a week, but this yeah. is not the church. We, what are we doing with the other six days that we're given collectively? Yeah. Uh, that's where the church is made known. And when church, like you had mentioned earlier, it's very consumeristic, when the, when the leadership allows the congregation to kind of have church be a buffet, mm. then that's on the leadership. And when it's like, well, I'm not feeling too well. So I'm, I, I'll catch it online turns into, yeah, I don't ever need to go back versus, well, I'm not going to go to church today because my kids have softball or soccer. You really start to see what are idols in our, in our, our, our country. Cause you can't, I mean, if you can't get people an hour, 15 minutes a week, where's God in the rest of the week when you're going to work and your kids have mm -hmm. a school and then after school practice, and then you have your hobbies and you have your, your general maintenance of your house and you have meal prep and you have a uh, get together with so-and-so mm -hmm. where's God and all that. And so our society has built our schedules for us. And unlike times past where Christianity has no problem going against the grain and saying, no, we will participate in both, but Sunday, the Sabbath is ours. My kids will, my kids will play soccer, play baseball, whatever, six days a week, but not on Sundays. And I'm not saying that that's how it should be done. It's just that at some point, there's got to be a standard. There's got to be a commitment somewhere. Mm -hmm. And when the leadership doesn't emphasize that commitment, it's no wonder we're, we're in this position right now. 
Right. Right. And I'm fearful. And I wish I could, could remember every word that was said in all of our college classes, but I'm also fearful that those who are teaching those who are becoming pastors, you know, because things can be so easy ish, lack, lacking persecution in America to step into these roles. I don't think there's many people saying to you, like, have you counted up the cost? And now I'm remembering I did. We did get some of that in our classes, but it's like, have you counted up the cost of like what you will have to confess in order to educate? And have you counted up the cost of like the time and dedication that it's going to take to do this? And have you counted up the cost of like what you'll have to say no to? And I think that's for our leadership. And that's also for, you know, just anyone following Jesus. You mentioned earlier, like the affluence of our society. I, it's just one of the biggest things that I think is a hindrance to us because I have so many choices that like how, I mean, you said it, like, I got to take care of my house. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. I feel like this past year has been me and Micah working so hard to cut things out of our life. Mm -hmm. And it's so difficult because your appetite gets wet for like those other things. Like you see other people doing and um, you see, you know, you want, and you want to achieve that. But man, it's so hard to say, to have the perspective to say like, in this season, what's the priority for me? What do I have to let go? And especially for me, confession, it's so hard to, to try to be present in the season that you're in and say like, no to the things that are unhelpful in the season, even if those things would be helpful later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I could get my master's degree, but like, is that helping me become more like Jesus and make disciples right now? Or is that just something, you know, like it would make me feel good to have that extra degree, you know? And it's, it's like the pressure. I feel like I'm frequently overwhelmed, like by the shortness of my life. And so I try to like shove in as many things as I can that make me feel like it was successful. But then I'm like, ah, I know that I'm missing it. Like I can feel like I I'm missing it. Like I'm not experiencing Christ when I'm, I'm trying to like hit all of these things so hard and like do all the things. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you, you are, you're wrestling it with a really great questions. And that comes back to motive and something I've asked my yeah. congregation to, to keep it simple for them is who's at the center of your life. Uh, mm -hmm. Something by definition has to be, uh, is it you or is it God? And uh, if it's not one of those, it's, it's something you're, you're drifting towards one of those things constantly. And I know our sin nature makes it very, very easy, but it's interesting hearing, hearing what you are describing, the, the questions that you're asking. If I could ask you a question in return, you know, since we, uh, yeah, scary. since we, yeah, since we graduated <laughs> Olivet, how, how is your opinion on the church, the ecclesiastical mission maybe of the church? Have, is your opinion on like the American church changed in the last five years? <laughs> um. I think in a word, I, I would respond to that by disappointing. Mm. And, and I, I don't think I, I don't mean that in the way that I think a lot of my friends mean that. And like, you know, like I don't see the church loving people and like, so I'm just going to do what I want to do because I feel like yeah. that's more loving to other people. Mm. It's not in that it's more of the conversation that we had since I've been in a lot of like ministry leadership circles 
Um, I think there's a lot of me that, and this is what I'm wrestling through right now. So that's a great question is that is just, you know, it's, I'm disheartened by what I see. And I know that doesn't excuse me to like check out Yeah. <laughs> um, because I am held accountable to do something, you know, see something, say something, but I don't really know. <laughs> I guess. And I haven't discovered necessarily what my role in that conversation is. And I don't know that we ever get, you know, we do sometimes, but less frequently, it's more just, you know, starting to open doors, starting to have conversations, um, having this conversation. But yeah, I think I've experienced a lot of people with preferences and people happy with the way they have things and not a lot of people who want to die to themselves to oh. see Jesus. Oh my goodness. And, and I, I mean, I'm in that category and I could tell you right now, like, you know, here's a list of things that like I should not be doing. And here's a list of things that I should be doing. Oh yeah, you and me both. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that wrestling of like, I don't, and right now, I guess my wrestling is, you know, I just see so much dark even in the church and in church leadership and it breaks my heart. But like, like, how do I even bring light to that? Like, where do I even break into that? And am I strong enough? in you know what and this is this is the wrong idea what i what my flesh says is like am i strong enough in my knowledge which here we're having this conversation about church history because i want more knowledge on how to you know fight these battles am i strong enough in these things in order to to bring light to these conversations um which i know is not how god operates (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't need me to have all that knowledge he just needs me to be obedient And I guess that's the other theme of my reflections on the church right now is like, I see so much strategizing, but I don't see a lot of obedience. I don't see a lot of obedience to um, who God has asked us to be and how we're supposed to live. And like I said earlier, I think that's what I've been wrestling with, with Micah this past year and like cutting things out of our life is like, there's so many things that distract us from obedience. And like you mentioned the church calendar, like, man, I wish I, I knew and understood the church calendar better <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's so much like a God that, you know, history and scripture like has laid out all these great things for us. And I'm like, man, why don't I know these things? Mm-hmm. And it's not for lack of education. You know, I had a great education and my dad's a pastor. I learned a lot. I just, yeah. I'm like, man, I wish I, I knew those things. And it's always hard for me to tell I'm always guessing at what kind of season I'm in, you know, like, Lord, is this a preparing season or is this like a season where I need to just be bold and do something? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, the better question is, you know, what would Satan want me to do right now? And like, is that, is that to, he would want me to be afraid or he would want me to act without thinking or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. But so reflection on the church, um, I'm discouraged, but I'm, I'm ever an optimist (laughs) and I believe that, you know, that God is bigger than all of the messes that we can make. So as much as we can screw it up, I know he can restore it, but you know, that takes people willing to say yes and be obedient to him and stand up in that fire and 
be persecuted even by fellow believers and being betrayed by no. fellow believers to say, hey, like we're doing this, but it is written like this, like this is what Jesus said. And yeah, and wrestling through that together. But I just, I found, and this is what's discouraging that it's harder and harder to find those people, yeah. you know, once you leave like your safe nest of being home. And in my case, like Christian parents and camp and then, you know, all of it. And even there you see some diversity and thought, but like, you know, your incubators. It's the common, it's the loss of common values uh, amongst, yes. amongst people. Now, what I, what I hear you're saying, if I, if I'm, you know, correct me, please, if I'm wrong, but I or see you is you're, you're just seeing this, uh, this dualism of who, mm-hmm. who are these people allegiance to? Are they, are they uh, showing their allegiance to the world or is it to God? And we are seeing, um, like you said, three different factions and that the Orthodox faction is getting smaller, mm-hmm. smaller and smaller. And I, and, what what is our and there's nothing about that that says we're going to be easy. We have just been in a you know historically been in a time where we've you know been able to have. I mean, our parents and how many times have our parents' generation have said, "Well, back in my day, this was so and so," or mm-hmm. so they they talk about this time of common values and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, you knew right from wrong. And I'm like, that just okay. sounds so alien to to us, you know. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I see, what, what I see, at least in you much more than, than myself is that even though we weren't best friends at school, ran in similar circles, but the one thing I knew about Annette Carr at that time, uh, was, you know, you're happy go lucky individual. It's just way, it's just you doing you the way God made you just one of the most joyful people, uh, that I've ever, I've ever been around. And that type of, that is a gift that I will say is a gift. And the question is, is that when you're constantly just being you and it's being such a light to other people. What, who, who is that person to Annette? And especially in the midst of trials, tribulations, transitions, different seasons of life, that is, that is difficult. And, you know, I, I will at least say that you're not alone in this. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I'm much more of a pessimist, uh, <laughs> uh, but I am, I am with you as far as the same, just like discouragement, but you're not alone in that in that struggle, uh, at all. And, um, I, I, I think it's important for, for us as not just podcasters, but as people to know that there's a network of individuals out there who we, we are seeing some of the things the same way and not, we're not even talking about politics. That's the best part is a lot of people hear that and say, Oh, well, they, they're, although I guess those are just two young liberals or two young conservatives or something, whatever. So no, we're actually talking about the church thing. We're not, we not, we didn't even mention the word politics in, in this conversation, but the world will try to, or certain people will try to put us in those categories and then label these movements from here. And that's a way you can separate people. It's like, well, uh, no, 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 that's, that's not our goal here. That's not our motive. And I think for me, what's been helped is that I, there's always room for me to be wrong. Like when I talk about right and wrong, I could be a hundred percent incorrect because the goal is it's not about me. It's not about serving me. It's not about me trying to gain adoration or praise. And I see that same humility within you. I think it takes a little bit of self-awareness to say, hey, you know, I still, this is a whole do-it-yourself project, still needs some improvement. <laughs> uh, so I, I hope that it's a sign of encouragement because we are, our church today, because uh, it's much bigger than just us two. Our church today is dealing with things that our brothers and sisters have, have dealt with before, and they are just begging to be heard. Yeah. 
begging to be heard. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate your pastoral care. No. I, like I just got a good counseling session. <laughs> that was nice. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just say this too, that because, you know, because we were at Olivet together, a lot of the shared experiences, a lot of the things that I got from Olivet, it wasn't the, it wasn't the fault of 18 year olds sharing their experiences, but it felt like for a long time that if you want to be a Christian all-star, you got to go on a missions trip and you got to go overseas or you got to go to Africa to get oh, that wow. profile photo with the, with the kid, you holding the kid. Um, <laughs> that's how you get girlfriends. That's, that's how true. that works. And hence why I don't have a girlfriend. Um, that, that's not real, everybody. Stop the stigma. It's really, really funny, though. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I see here with our affluence, we're, I mean, talk about what Satan would want. On the appearance, why would, why would the United States need missionaries? I, I think we're amongst the most spiritually impoverished people on the planet because we really don't need God here. God exists to serve us, which is which I mean, talk about a blatant heresy that we might not ever admit that with our mouths, but our actions would dictate otherwise that God is there when we need him to feel better or need something or to complain to, or cry out for injustice saying, well, if God would just do something about this, then I would believe him. I mean, come on. And it's like, Oh, okay. So now I know who who this is really about. It's not about God. It's about you. Um, (laughs) And I think that's what Satan would want. Look at the look at the lies here. Like, yeah, America doesn't need missionaries. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So many good things. Okay, I have two questions, sure. and then I'll try to wrap it up because I know everyone's like, "Oh, this isn't a half hour." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, my fault. That's a big problem. <laughs> no, but it was so rich. I think when a conversation is rich, you should let it ride out. Um, I agree. Yeah. So. Uh, here's here's my cynicism in knowing so much about church history are we and i know the answer because i have read my bible are we forever on a pendulum swing of you know trying to find the antidote for our sin in this cultural season till we get to heaven (laughs) you know there's so much of me that you know i'm a fixer and i want it to be better i know typically the males are the fixer so we think but it's me and i want (laughs) to make it better (laughs) but yeah tell me what do you think that's a beautiful thing you know uh nazarene church baptist church um you know i would say assemblies of god they all have different different approaches to eschatology or the study of the end times Mm -hmm. the way i interpret revelation is that well of course we're in the end times because the next event that's going to happen in our christendom is jesus coming back there's not another event so every yeah, so ever since Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago and changed, which we'll be celebrating here in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. we've perpetually been in the end times. Of course we are in the end times. Uh, unlike the, it's going to happen like when the Mayan calendar, you know, runs out, you know, in 2012. 2012? Like, uh, yeah. I still believe it. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, well, this is there. Maybe they had it backwards. Maybe it was 2021, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that. Like, of course, we're in the end times and no one knows when Jesus is coming back. So my motive there is, yeah, we're going to continue to serve God. And for those that believe that if we just get the right candidate in office or if we just do what I think the world should do, then everything will be better. Of course, better based on whose standard. And then secondly, if we are Christians and ushering in the next kingdom, you know, Revelation, even as an apocalyptic book, does paint a very bleak picture. 
But the way our mistake is, is that, well, that bleak picture is what I would consider bad. Uh, what I consider to be bad or negative might not be for my neighbor either. And so if we are, if we are living in the end times, things have been bad. And that's the thing for us in America. Like, are you kidding me? Like things have been bad in the Middle East and in Asia and certain countries for millennia. Okay? I know. I'm like, you know what I think was bad? If I lost all my money in my house, that's like the majority of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, or, okay. You know, like in Saudi Arabia, if you, or if you have or arrange a meeting like this and that, um, they cut your head off with an ax. Okay. So there's not a lot of repeat offenders. Uh, <laughs> I say jokingly, you don't, you don't have the opportunity. Dark, dark. Yeah. So like when I look at something like that, do you think those people feel pretty persecuted like they're at the end times? And yet here we're in America saying, oh, well, just those dang such and such politicians, they made another law. And now this is another sign of the end times. Like uh, constantly putting ourselves at the center of the story. Yeah. little little prideful there. Um, so for us, yeah. Uh, judgment does judgment come to the children of Israel through secular secular means? Absolutely. Does God abandon His people? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we will be persecuted if if we believe our Bibles and we are Bible followers? Yeah, we will be. But it also takes many forms. It takes many forms. And the martyrs, yes, they were killed for their faith. Do you have to be killed in order to suffer be, to, to suffer for Jesus' name today? Absolutely not. That's a good word. That is a good word. What were the two books that you mentioned before? The church yeah. history books? Yeah, so uh, so to make sure that I do not mess them up. So the <laughs> these are these are just a couple. Um his name uh, is first one uh, is Justo Gonzalez. Uh, it is the story of Christianity. Um Justo Gonzalez, so J-U-S-T-O, that's how you say his first name. Justo Gonzalez, The Story of Christianity. Amazing book. You can find it on Amazon. It's about 20 bucks. Um, very, very easy. Uh, that is That gets very in-depth because it's not covering a lot of time. Uh, it is, at least for me, it was easy to understand as a naive 19-year-old, but if it might be a little dense for certain people. Um, not because they're dumb, but it's, it was hard. It was hard for me still to understand it. And I like that topic. So <laughs> if, if pe- that's maybe for people who really want to get into the nitty gritty, but for, um, if for people who kind of want like, well, what's a, what, what's something that maybe is more plain spoken and also covers a lot of that church history. I would look up, uh, tried by fire. Uh, which is a book by William Bennett, Bennett, um, the two, two, two N's, two T's, William Bennett, Tried by Fire, the story of Christianity's first 1,000 years. It is beautiful. Those two books would be at the top of my bookshelf for those who want to connect with church history and then also would like to look at the parallels today because they don't, uh, the Tried by Fire book doesn't just, you know, just give you the history. It also, he also adds a little bit of commentary as well. I love it. Okay. Here's my closing question. I think it's an, a good doozy question to end on. Okay. So with your, <laughs> if you were able to speak as a prophet, so to speak with the knowledge of church history that you have, if you were to speak as the voice of our brothers and sisters that went before us from death of Jesus to now, what would you think they would want 
us to know and take away from their experiences. Okay, so no pressure, right? Don't screw up, but all of the people in that time period are in heaven watching you right now. Oh, okay. So witnessing this moment. Yeah, so uh, are, like, are you going to edit in like the who wants to be a millionaire uh, music in here? Um, no, no. Um, I'll forgive you if you screwed but, up. Oh, if, they tell me, you. if they tell me different in heaven, I'll be like, eh, you know, Michael, it was fine. Uh, you, you had one <laughs> shot at it. Um, yeah, it's it's really kind of the question I've asked earlier. Who is at the center? Or let me put it another way. Who? What's our purpose here? Let me, I'll make it the big philosophical question. As, as Christians, what is our purpose here? Mm. We believe it's to bring honor and glory, praise to God. And Satan will try to do, try to tempt us away with a lot of illustrious affairs to take us away from that end goal. And when Jesus boils down all the 613 laws of Moses into basically command one a and one B is love, love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And through that, we fulfill the mission of the church and our flesh is constantly at war with that. Our sin nature is constantly at war with that because we are tempted to do things under pressure that preserve us that put down other people. We're selfish. We're angry. We're spiteful. We hold grudges. We're unforgiving. Hmm. And in a society today that she speaks a lot of justice, if you go to Amos five verse eight, I believe is that the quest for justice, it says you've turned justice into bitterness and have cast righteousness to the ground Oof. that when we are to also, you know, when in the, in the book of Micah, where it says you're, what is, what does the Lord require uh, of us, but to, or what does the Lord require of the man, but to, to, Seek justice, um, you know, practice mercy, or what is the, what's the, um, do justice, um, practice mercy and walk humbly with your God. Uh, yeah. It's an amalgamation of the, that. The casting crown song in my head. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and request for justice. That's what Christians, what we're supposed to do. But our quest for justice can become bitter. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, that's true. and it, when justice turns into revenge, um, it, the outcome will always be better for everybody. Mm-hmm. And when we're trying to seek wrongs, we're trying to correct wrongs. We're trying to make it Christianity, our vision. Mm-hmm. Where's God? So where, where is God in our version of Christianity? Because he is not here to serve our needs. And if you look at the last 2000 years, it's a constant war of, are we here to serve God? Or are we here to serve man? And how you answer those questions really does dictate a lot of your actions because one leaves no room for correction, rebuke, forgiveness. And the other one, you leave yourself open and barren saying, I'm a human. I have nothing to offer. I'm justified through the blood of Christ. And we, I'm going to be held accountable for my actions. And where my life ends is where Jesus' life begins. And so what right to life do I have apart from Christ? That is what separates the wheat from the chaff. And that's where you have people who are willing to die for their faith because they believe in that cause. They believed in the life was not their own. They were bought with a price. They were purchased by the blood of Christ. So to, to throw that to the Christians today, what is your purpose here? And why are you going to church? If you can answer those two questions in a godly way, I think we're, even though it can be tough, I think that's the key to, to success is being able to biblically answer those and, for the, for the pastors in turn to not abuse the flocks, to, to take those charges and say, 
I'm here to serve God. And I have a, a tremendous, tremendous charge from scripture. Hmm. Just as Jesus was the good shepherd, am I myself willing to lay myself down for the flock? That'll preach. You know what I realized is I said that, you know, why are we surprised by sin? And then I also said, there's so much dark. I don't know how to be light in that, <laughs> which is like saying, why are we surprised? Why am I surprised by sin? So there's, there's an example of how I was double-minded, even in this conversation, I'm surprised by the sin in the people of God, but you know, I shouldn't be, but Michael, thank you so much. I feel You're like welcome. this one was actually just for me, but I, I hope yeah. you enjoyed listening <laughs> to this conversation. That, that was actually for me. Sorry. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and being here. I really appreciate all your wisdom. And I just loved listening to you. So maybe we can do this again sometime. I think that'd be fun. Oh, please. I I, I want to have you and uh, you and your hubby on, please. Like I, I would love for that because not, not just to return the favor, but the fact <laughs> that you guys are doing good things and having that perspective as a young Christian couple committed to each other, talking about things that other couples need to hear. That's like right in my wheelhouse of like, that's what I want on my podcast. So yes, I would like to keep future collaboration if for nothing else that you're, we're not alone in this fight. And thank that's you real. for yeah, thank you for the bottom of my heart for giving me the opportunity. It's, it's so humbling, and uh, that that is it's a credit to you and uh, just again the person that you are, but also your willingness to to listen and 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 I would say not me, but to other people. Like that's great. To please keep that up. I'm a fan. I have been a fan for quite some time, and I'm a little biased that hopefully this episode. Uh, provides what, what others are seeking as well. <laughs> I think, I mean, there were so many good words from Jesus, so I think it will. But yes, also make sure you check out Michael and his podcast, We Shall Not Sleep, because it's so good. So do that right now. Go subscribe. You won't regret it. It's a good time. And thanks so much for being here, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Annette. Good to talk with you. Thank you once again to Annette and Micah on their podcast and their willingness to host others that ultimately encourage people, encourage each other into conversation that needs to be had. I'm humbled and honored to have had that particular space and opportunity. And thank you for the future listeners of this show as well as theirs. This is a cool community to be a part of and to have other allies of sorts running in the same circles is amazing. So please go check out their podcast again. That's what I thought podcast. Again, they're hosted through Anchor, but they're on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. They are worth a listen, and I would highly encourage you to add them to your weekly rotation of podcasts. Now, if you want to connect with this show, please feel free to give us an email, wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Connect with us anywhere on, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to ever maybe leave a like or leave a comment, email a suggestion for a topic or a guest. I'm more than willing um, to listen to the people that make all of us possible. Thank you, everyone. May God bless you and may God keep you.